If you're a student at university or college, what's the best way of developing yourself personally and professionally alongside your studies? Also, what's the benefit of having a mentor at this early stage of your development? We'll find out in today's episode. Welcome to Half Hour Mentor. My name is Ian Cleverdon and welcome to the fifth episode in the series in which I talk to notable figures from a variety of different backgrounds with a view to supporting you in your personal and professional development. Today, my guest is Shuaib Gamot, project officer with Manchester Metropolitan University, having graduated there with a first class honours degree in accounting and finance in 2022. Some of the feedback I received in my research for this series was that, whilst it's great to hear from successful business leaders, it would also be good to learn from those at the start of their careers and how they've handled the early stages of their development. Having reflected on my interview with Shoaib, I think today's episode is a masterclass in this area, and there's something for everyone to learn from in his approach to development and motivation. You can find this series on all major streaming platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify and YouTube. Be sure to click on the follow or subscribe button to make sure you don't miss out on hearing from our future guests. It'll also be great if you could rate and review the podcasts as it really helps me understand how they're being received. And do spread the word with your friends and colleagues if you're enjoying them. You can also provide feedback and learn about future episodes on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook by searching for Half Hour Mentor. So let's crack on with the interview with Shuaib. Let's go back to your teenage years. What did you want to do when you were at school, for example? I think going back to my teenage years, I remember the first job that I really wanted um, and I thought about in, in quite a bit of detail was to be a teacher. I wanted to be a uh, primary school teacher. And I think probably the main reason for that was you know, the majority of my role models, especially when you're in school, you find our teachers. Um, so I really respected my teachers and um, the teachers that I liked, loved what they did. Um, so I thought, okay, let me think about going into teaching. What will I need to do to become a teacher? Um, so obviously you need a degree to become a teacher, but also I thought I was lucky enough to go to a sixth form um, college um, and a high school as well. So when I was in my first year of sixth form, um, we have a primary school as well. So I went to the primary school and I did a one week work experience. Um, and I found that I do not like working with kids, <laughs> essentially. Um, so quite quickly, I realised that wasn't particularly going to be the route for me. Um, so that's probably the first thing that I wanted to do. Right. That's interesting. What was it about, without wanting to offend any children yeah. listening, what was it that you didn't like or turned you off about that from your original thought is that's what you want to do? I think I just realised that um, what I really enjoy doing is... Um, you know, working with people and talking to people a lot. But when you're a teacher, you're almost by yourself um, with these kids, even though you're not working alone. um, For the majority, especially primary school teachers, the majority of the time, you're going to be working with, you know, a group of 20, 25, 30 kids. Um, Maybe there's a a teaching assistant there as well, but you're going to be by yourself and um, you kind of have to deal with it. And um, and I'm sure there's a lot of elements to it which are enjoyable, but I just realised that I really like that camaraderie and working in a team. Um, and I realised that quite early on, I think, because in high school and in college, I got, in, I got involved in stuff like Modern United Nations, a Young Enterprise Challenge, where I worked as part of a team. Um, and that's what I really enjoyed doing. What drove you to get proactively involved in all of those activities? I think I wasn't the best of students in regards to um, pure education and pure um, like learning from a book. 
Um, I realised quite later on, late in life, to be to be fair, probably in, in university slash final year of college that I had ADHD and I already knew that I was dyslexic. So I didn't really know how I like to learn. And I think the main reason I thought that was because obviously the, the normal way of teaching is you come into a classroom, you listen for 30 minutes and then you go ahead and you do your activities alone. And I realised quite early on in life um, that firstly I liked more interactive lessons and so you know the, the likes of drama really enjoyed up a study in politics in A level because it's a you know you have to talk and, and, and go through your opinions. I really enjoyed them subjects but in terms of um, other subjects like maths or English or science, it was much more of a chore for me. I had to really try to understand and I had to really try to concentrate and put effort in. So the reason I enjoyed doing all the extracurricular activities were I was probably one of the worst students in the classroom in regards to, you know, always trying to distract the teacher and, and talk, you know, make the teacher talk about their personal lives. Um, but when it came to extracurricular activities like the Young Enterprise Challenge or, or Model United Nations, like I think of countless others, um, I really enjoyed them. And whenever there was an opportunity in any subject, whether I enjoyed the subject or not, to do a team project after school or do an extracurricular activity, I jumped right in. So you then went on to university. Tell us about that journey. What drove you to go to university? I think university was always part of the plan. Um, from when I was younger, I think the fact that my brother went and moved to Newcastle when I was you know, nine or ten, and I used to think to myself, oh, I really want to do that. I really want to go to university. I had a bit of a stumble in college, in my first year of college, where I thought, is education really for me? I was really struggling with topics at, the, at that time. So I, I, did, I did quite well in maths and English, um, sorry, maths and science in my GCSEs. So naturally, my parents were like, you need to do maths and sciences for your A-levels. Um, and I was miserable doing them. <laughs> I was absolutely miserable doing I was studying maths, physics um, and chemistry um, and I hated it. Um, and I started to really consider whether, you know, education was the route for me or, you know, should I go do an apprenticeship? And apprenticeships are really becoming popular um, back then and a lot of people come into our school to talk to us about apprenticeships. So... But then later on, I picked subjects in my A-levels that I really enjoyed and I realised that, do you know what, university is, you know, it really has the opportunity to change someone's life. And I think it's a life-changing experience in regards to not only do you get a degree, but all these social activities that you can get involved in. I really want to do that. So I did my A-levels. Um, um, and during my A-levels, I heard about the First Generation Scheme, which is essentially just a scholarship scheme, which is not just money, but also um, loads of, you know, extra advice and, and support, such as going to a summer school and getting support in your personal statement. Um, and that kind of really drove me to choose MMU as well. So I knew I wanted to go to university, ideally run away from Manchester, run away from my parents, get a bit of freedom. But in the end, I fell in love with MMU. I fell in love with Manchester Met, and I decided to stay here, and it was kind of the rest is all history. So you went to Manchester Metropolitan University and what did you study? I studied accounting and finance. Um, Which has got an element of mathematics involved I in know, it. <laughs> I know, so I think the way that I came to that decision I think was I've always been, um, uh, you know, I realised that during school that I, I'm much more motivated when I've got an end goal and I picked my degree with that in mind as well. So. The way I picked accounting and finance was um, a company came to our school and said, you can come to our offices and look around. So we went to the offices of, I think it was BDO, um, and just looking around at the, you know, the free coffee machine and the incredible building and you know, seeing people in 
amazing suits walking around and they're thinking to myself, you know, I want this to be me. Um, so I knew that I wanted to go into kind of the professional um, services kind of um, sector and, the, you know, the services sector. Um, and I picked accounting and finance because it was a secure route. And I literally Googled one of the most secure routes and um, good pay and good money. Uh, and accounting and finance was, was one of them. If you're, if you're a business owner, you don't, you don't want to get rid of your accountant until the very end, are you? Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk about university then. You, you got to university. Yeah. You're starting studying accounting and finance. You've already demonstrated about you throwing yourself into extracurricular activities, and I guess from my understanding that that is what you continue to do at universities. Tell us a little bit about how you thought you'd develop yourself. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I came into university through the first generation scheme, so I already knew quite a bit about the university. So from day one, I was really lucky to kind of feel comfortable and feel like I belonged at Manchester Metropolitan University. So from day one, I got involved in things. I went straight to the Students' Union at Freshers' Fair, um, and so I'm from, I'm, I'm from Somaliland, so I joined the Somali Society um, and then about a couple of months in did a hostile takeover and became president in my first year. Um, so I realised that I was doing the majority of the work, so I should get the title as well. Right, let, let's just wind back on, okay. on that one then. How did you get to be president of a society in your first year at university? <laughs> so essentially, you know, I was walking around the... Um, the freshest fair with my friend um, at the time, and she still is, um, who was also doing, studying accounting and finance. And, you know, I went to the, to the Somali society desk and said, yeah, I'm really interested in this. I want to get involved in it. And my friend, you know, gassed me up a little bit, said how amazing I was. And they were like, do you know what? We're actually looking for committee members. Um, so why don't you join the committee? And I was like, okay, I'll join the committee. Um, so I became, I think it was um, the... Um, projects secretary or whatever it may be and I was in charge of essentially putting events on uh, events manager basically um, and then you know we did three or four events in the first couple of months and um, I'm, uh, yeah I'm not being very humble here but I did the majority of the work um, and I think other people in the society kind of realized that so there was a, my friend who I met on the society who's actually a massive part of my university experience Musa um, I met him um, while I was a part of the committee and we became friends and he was pushing me to kind of become president because I was doing the majority of the work and I think the president at the time was in their final year of studies and they were very busy. Um, so I, I did just that. I spoke to the president and she said reluctantly I th she agrees with me and uh, I became president and, and I think that was before January so it was quite... Wow. Uh, first couple of months, yeah. So beginning of term two of year one. <laughs> yeah. He's yeah. president of a society. That, that is amazing. Yeah. Great. What else did you, you do within that first year? What other experiences did you have? So, yeah, so I got involved in society and de facto got involved in the union, the students' union quite a bit. So um, I made a lot of friends in the students' union. And, and through the society, I, I mentioned Moussa and how he played a massive part in my life or my university life in my first year in particular. He was in his final year of studies had a difficult first couple of um, years, but really started to get into the groove of things. Um, and he, had, he, you know, he used to tell me all about different things and introduce me to other third year students. So, um, you know, I was, I was in the library, I was in the Students' Union study space once, and, um, you know, it was election time at the Students' Union. And um, I was trying to push some people to run for, for election. So I convinced three people to run for election. And I was like, don't worry, um, I study politics, I'll be a campaign manager. 
So I thought, you know. Um, so this was going to be your campaign, they were going to be your campaign manager? Y- y- yeah. No, I was going to be their campaign manager. Oh, gotcha. In- initially, yeah. yes. Yeah. So I right. thought, okay, I can't run for, stu- I can't run for um, student union office in my first year. It's a full-time job. Right. Um, uh, or so I thought um, but so I convinced them to run so that we had a sports officer there we had a well-being officer an education officer and a um, society and development officer so we had four officers and we were missing the big one so we were looking for a president and and then I got an email from someone saying recommending me to run for election so I thought I went to the student union office and I said can I run in my first year and they were like yes um, so I did just that I joined the slate we had a full slate so I went from campaign manager to the, being the you know president of that um, of that slate of um, of students so we ran for office we put everything into our campaign made an amazing video with my, my brother's friend um, who was an amazing videographer um, you know got loads of people to volunteer on, the, uh, on our campaign and go around campus and convince students and I learned so much from the experience just kind of you know selling myself essentially and selling my team to different students and um, getting turned down and um, all of that and you know I think if you can go up to someone on the street and try to convince them of something you can pretty much do anything really um, so unfortunately we all came second and we lost by around about 200 or 300 votes um, to the incumbent slate all five of them all five of them slate members were already in office so we already knew that we had quite a tough challenge but it was really close and it was, you know, the students union were saying how it was one of the most successful election campaigns that they've ever had because it was so competitive and so many people got involved. After the election loss, I was, I was a bit disappointed, but I had a lot of other things that I could get involved in. And the first generation, being a part of the first generation team was one of them. So I became an ambassador for the, um, for the first generation team, which is essentially just a part time job. And, and through that, um, you know, I got involved in an organisation called One Million Mentors um, just by saying yes to, oh, will you go to this event, um, for the One Million Mentors event and represent the first generation students? And I said yes. And, um, and you know, I, I, I met the, the CEO of that organisation called One Million Mentors. And then after that, got invited to speak in, in, in the House of Commons, which is essentially just uh, me in a very small room within a now shadow minister. Um, and three or four other, um, you know, really high up and prestige people um, from across central London. Um, so let's just stop there and take that in for a minute. Okay. You, you're in your first year at university. Is this a second term, is it? Second term. Second term. Uh, third term. Third term. But you are now speaking at the House of Commons. Yes. What On what subject? Yeah. So I was there to speak about the impact of um, of mentoring. I think at that particular point in time, a lot of young people were having issues with, um, you know, there's a lot of um, issues around jobs and job security and, and getting a job out of gra- um, graduating. Um, and there's also a lot of stuff going on with youth knife crime and um, it was essentially a very bleak picture. I think a lot of the stuff that was being talked about around that time were, you know, h- how doomed young people were, essentially. Mm. And this um, was pre-pandemic, wasn't it? Pre-pandemic, yeah. Um, so I went to this event and there was about 10, 15 people in that room and um, I remember feeling so out of place. Uh, I think I walked into the building and... Um, walked into the room, sorry, and I was there... I was, quite early, I was quite early, so I was one of the first people there. And then at one point, one of the... Um, the guests who came um, handed me their jacket. Um, I was wearing a black suit. So they probably thought I was working there. Um, and then, you know, we sat down for dinner and then I did a, a short 
you know, 10-15 minute speech about my experiences and um, I guess I wowed them because they ended up donating a lot of money to the charity. Right. Wow. How did you feel at that moment of standing up there before you were about to speak? What was going through your mind? I think people always think that it comes naturally to me. Um, they always think, oh, it's, you know, it's, you're a very comfortable speaker, you're very confident, um, which to a degree is true, but um, you know, this is you know, this has only happened over a, you know a long period of time of practicing and and doing loads of speaking engagements. But every single time I speak, no matter what it is, even this conversation right now, I get butterflies. Um, you know, I'm always you know um, I always have these little tricks that I, um, that I use where I you know move my feet around, um, but no one can see it. Um, so I felt really nervous in that moment in time. I, I remember feeling. You know, do I deserve to be here? Which is a question I asked a, a lot of myself when I was um, when I was in my late teens. Um, you know, what right do I have to be here? Essentially, um, but with time and in a couple of minutes into every conversation or every speaking engagement I have, I realise and um, just taking the moment. And I'm always in the moment. And I feel like, in I guess you know, athletes talk about this a lot when they're when they're playing football, when they're playing rugby. They're in the moment and they, you know, they ignore everything else. And I feel like one of the moments where I always feel like I'm there is when I'm speaking and I try not to think about other things and I'm very lucky to have that, that natural skill, I guess. Just one thing that sprung to mind is you've done lots there and that, that's just so commendable that you've got involved in that. Um, if I'm a listener to this now, I might be thinking, great, but how did you balance your studies? And how did you, so how did you, how did you balance out the, the studies that you had to do? Um, I think one thing that I've I've kind of realised is I enjoy getting involved in these kind of things. So it doesn't necessarily seem like a chore to me, um, and it doesn't drain my energy. I think there's a lot of things that I had to do when I was in uni, um, not a lot, but quite a few things that I had to do in, when I was in university or in college that I really didn't enjoy, and it and it drained the energy out of me. But these were things that I genuinely looked forward to, um, and I didn't see as a chore. Where other people be like, well, you know, I could do that, but I'm not that interested in um, in it. But other people have the same opportunities that I did, where I said yes, they said no. I just thought about it as an opportunity to learn and um, meet new people and, and try new things. Um, but I guess, you know, the bigger picture of how I balanced the majority of the things that I did while I was in uni were not listening to people when they told me, oh, you can't do that. You know, I remember when I first started my, you know, I think we'll get onto this at some point, but in my third year of university, I worked full time alongside my studies. And my parents were not impressed initially. Mm. They were like, you need to take this seriously. You're underestimating how hard this can be. And, um, and a lot of people told me that. But I actually had a conversation with, I'm name dropping here. I had a conversation with Stephen Bartlett um, in the gym. Um, and I mentioned, you know, I'm an, I, I was at the very start of the year, just before I started my final year of studies, where I said, am I making a great mistake here? Everyone's telling me it's going to be tough. And he kind of stopped me right there and said to me, if everyone was willing to do it and could do it um, then it wouldn't be it wouldn't hold the same value and I just thought about that as a challenge and it kind of keeps me motivated and keeps me going was the fact that what I'm doing is really tough therefore it's you know in this case for me in particular it was worthwhile um, so that kind of motiva- motivated me to make sure that I I got things in order and I think when you go through these tough experiences they're not easy 
and I can pick, try to paint a, an easy picture. It wasn't easy. It was a lot of you know very early mornings going to the library before work, um, in the evening after work going to the library. You know, taking my holiday days and not going on holiday, but spending it every you know every couple of weeks before every exam, I'd be in the library from eight a.m. to eight p.m. Um, but just time management and, and understanding how you learn as well. Um, I think the reason I enjoyed my university degree so much and I was able to do well in it was because for the first time in my life, quite late on, I learned how to revise. I learned how to revise in university, which sounds crazy. And I feel like if I knew how to revise the way I do now in college or in, um, in high school, I would have done a lot, a lot better. But just understanding that, you know, looking at the person that's getting the A star in your room and how they're doing it might not work for you. I love to learn when I'm fixating on one subject or one area, and that's how I do best. Um, and other people might like to do things um, slowly throughout the year, but for me, you know, fixating on one topic, you know, looking at accounting or whether it be, you know, corporate reporting and, and looking at it in, in detail, that really helps me to, you know, memorise everything that I need to memorise and do well in them exams. That sounds like a whole different podcast episode looking at yeah. how to revise. And yeah. Yeah, yeah, probably give me an idea for that one, <laughs> but th- that's for the future. Yeah. You took a placement year as well as part of that. So for those that are that listening and not aware of that, it's basically taking the third year out of the university. So you, you, your degree spread over four years, third year being practice in industry or in a working environment. Tell us a little bit about that. What, what did you do? The main thing that I came to university for was to get a job and I was fixated with this idea of graduating with a job, going to, graduate, going to my graduation ceremony and having a job ready for me when I finish. Um, so a placement was really important to me. Getting a placement, I knew significantly increased your chances of having a, a graduate job at the end of your university experience. So with that in mind, in my second year of university, I... You, was fixated with um, all the application processes of all of these massive accounting firms. So I applied for in total about 17 or 18 different positions. Um, I think my second application was to PwC, my dream company at the time. Um, Got through the first stage, which was incredibly tough to get through. The second stage, third stage, got through to the group interviews, got through to the final interview um, and messed it up. Um, by not being myself in retrospect but um, you know everything happens for a reason and even though I didn't get that PwC job it made me a lot better for my next interview Um, in total I got around about 15 rejections and it was really hard to keep on going but I just knew that I had to and what really helped me at that time was just listening to other people's experiences and listening to podcasts similar to this one about how people go through these moments of you know failure leads to success kind of kind of vibe so I then got a final interview with GE, General Electric Aviation, huge company, way bigger than PwC. Um, and then um, my, my, my dad drove me up to Scotland and I was really nervous and I, you know, memorising all this information about the different jet engines that they have and all, this, all sorts of information. Went to the interview, um, smashed the interview, got, got along really well with the hiring manager. Two days later, I got a phone call saying that I got the job. Um, this was February 2020. So you can imagine what happened next. I think I know what's coming next. <laughs> yeah, the big P word, the pandemic happened. Um, and then, you know, they sent us an email saying, don't worry. Uh, everyone else's graduate jobs were getting cancelled and placements were getting cancelled, but they left it really late. So it was April, literally a week before my final exams, that they that 
I got an email from HR literally reading out a script saying that your contract's been terminated. Um, and it was, it was, it, I was gutted. Um, I kind of saw it coming, but I was still, I was still gutted. Um, and, but then luckily, all the things that I had been doing at university, um, you know, this idea that every single person you meet, you know, give a good impression, be nice. Not only because it's nice to be nice, but also because you never know where that person might see you in the future. So my experiences with the union meant that they offered me a job as soon as they found out that my placement got cancelled. This is in the Students' Union of Manchester Metropolitan University. Manchester Metropolitan University, yeah. So the same one that I ran for Students' Union election in. Um, Now, just a side note, not that money is the most important thing in the world. Um, If you won the Student Union election, um, you get paid around £18,000 a year, which is great. Um, But the job that I got on my placement was £22,000 a year. So, you know, if one door closes, a better one um, might open in the future. So just keep on going is is the lesson that I learned there. Um, But yeah, I was lucky enough to start my placement at the Students' Union. It was my first professional job. I remember being really excited to start, um, but it was such a weird time to start my career because it was during the pandemic. So I was meeting all of my colleagues slowly over a period of a month online um, in 2D. Um, yeah. So know, all of this was online, basically? My yeah. first eight months of my role was online completely. Right. I don't think I met. I might have went for a few walks in the park when it was legal, by the way, um, with colleagues um, or... But other than that, everything was online. It was weird. I was socialising online. We used to have after-work events online. Um, it, was, it, was, it was everything. Everything in my life was basically run by Zoom at that time. Um, at the end of my placement, I was, I was lucky enough to get offered a, a job in my final year at university, which I kind of mentioned before how I was working full-time alongside um, my full-time studies. So I got a job at the, univer- at the Students' Union, pardon me, um, working as a project coordinator and step in one of my mentors at this point um, because I did have a mentor um, called Mark and he he essentially told me, look, listen, when I was making that decision initially, I was like, can I really work full-time alongside my full-time studies? The answer that I came to personally was yes. He mentioned that he agreed with me um, and he agreed with my the conclusion that I came to based on the facts that, I've, um, that I presented to him. But then he did say one thing, which kind of sprung to mind straight away, was you can probably get more out of it. Um, clearly, they're quite desperate for you because you've got a niche set of skills, or and it's a very niche project of, you know, there's only a couple of years left. So he said, um, why don't you push for a promotion and a pay rise? Um, and I was like, well, no. And, you know, I'm very lucky to be offered this opportunity. Why would I push my luck? Uh, and he came- and th- Sorry, to interrupt. this is during the, the, your final year as well. Yeah, yeah. So this is this is literally at the st- at the end of my placement, the, the summer before I start my final year of university. Okay. Um, I, I was offered a, a role uh, by the by the students' union, and yeah. And then Mark, my mentor, pushed me to ask, um, "How do you think you'll be able to do this job properly?" Um, so those three things that I asked for: a pay rise and a promotion. Firstly. Um, secondly was to ensure that I could get my exams time off so I, I would get at least a week before every exam off they agreed to both of them and the third one was that I would be working seven or eight hours less I'll still be working full time but I'd be working seven or eight hours less um, so with them seven or eight hours I'd get um, some admin support from a student as well so I got all three of those things and I was really surprised um, and I remember how nervous I was going into that conversation and thinking they're definitely going to say no and they just said yes, yes, yes to everything that I asked for, um, 
which is another big lesson that I learned quite early on is that if you don't ask, you don't get. Um, and simple supply and demand. There was a demand for my role and um, for me to continue the role. So there was also a supply for what I wanted. Fantastic. And then if we wind to the end of your final year, what grade did you get? So I ended university with a uh, first. I got an average of 77%. Wow. So, uh, um, as well as for full-time work. Yeah, as well as a full-time and, and successfully com- and completing all of, the, all of my work, um, all of the things that work wanted me to complete. And I, and I felt like I did my job properly as well, and that was important to me. Um, but yeah, I mean, I remember as soon as I started the, started the year, I was like, well, I cannot mess this up. I cannot prove. <laughs> got one chance. Yeah, I got you one chance. Shot at I, it. I can't get a 2-1, basically, <laughs> was it? Because everyone was saying, well, if you get a 2-1, just know that if you weren't working, you would have got a first. So yeah. I had to get a first, and I had to get a good start to the year. Um, luckily, at that point, I met a really good friend who I briefly knew in first year. Really, like, barely knew her. Um, but she came back from placement as well. We didn't know anyone in the course. So we just kind of just looked at each other one day and were like, yeah, we'll be friends. Um, so we were really pushing each other a lot. And, you know, we had a similar timetable where she worked quite a bit as well. So them first two units in the first year, I think I got 84% and 86%. And it was important to me before January, make sure that you smash it so that the next half of the year, it could be a lot more relaxed for you. Um, because that's when I was going to be really busy in work and it worked out perfectly. I put a lot of pressure on myself, um, drove myself a little bit, um, put myself a little bit too much pressure, um, but in the end it all worked out. You talked about mentors, you talked about the one million mentor scheme and also Mark, your mentor. What advice would you give to students or any early career professionals about a mentor? What, what does a mentor do for you, would you say? I think the first thing to kind of mention is um, it's easy, especially in the world that we live in now, to think that all the information that you can get is online. And it's easy to think that, you know, I don't need someone giving me advice. And I think, um, you know, it couldn't, you couldn't be more wrong in, in, in that way of thinking. A mentor can really change your life. And um, it can be a simple piece of insight, can really make a, a world of difference. So. The first thing that I always remind myself is that I'm far from perfect and life's about learning and learning new things and, and, and thinking about things differently. Um, so I was always more than happy to get a mentor. So it started off, my first mentor, I think, was through the One Million Mentors program. And what they really taught me was, you know, saying yes to different opportunities and um, you never know where things might lead. And if you say yes to one thing, well, that could lead to A and then A could lead to B and then C could lead to your dream job or whatever it may be. Um, and I experienced that firsthand. Um, but also another thing that I really learned from my mentor and mentors was um, being asked why. It's a simple question, but sometimes when, you know, when you're talking to your mentor and you're explaining why you want to do something and um, they ask you, well, why do you want to do that? And you can't answer the question. It me- really makes you reevaluate all your goals and your ambitions. And are you really doing this for yourself or are you really doing it for other people? Are you doing it for what people will think? Um, will this really benefit you in the future? Is this a waste of time? So I think a mentor can make a world of difference. Obviously, it's all about um, meeting the right mentor. When I first met my mentor, I remember them telling me one of the worst things that's ever happened in their lives. And I remember just sitting there thinking, I can be honest with this person. So really try to, especially early on, try to develop and get to know your mentor on a personal level and, and relate to them. Because... You know, I'm a, I'm a black 23-year-old man and my best ever mentor was a, you know, 
a white woman in her 60s um, and I learned so much from her um, and even if your life experiences are completely different you can relate to anyone uh, in, in different ways so really try to put effort into your relationship and and, and try to get your, to know your mentor on a personal level and once you do that you, you know kind of the world's your oyster they'll be able to help you out with the little decisions in life and I, and I became you know, I've had mentors in an official capacity where I go through an organisation or as simple as just asking someone that I really admire to have a conversation with me and, uh, and discussing things with them. A mentor relationship can be as, as short as two conversations or it can be as, as long as two or three years of mentoring and I've had both of those. And, um, you know, it's an opportunity to be honest with someone and for them to give you honest feedback. So what does the future hold for you from there? So at the moment, I'm, I'm working at the university as a, as a project officer and I'm in my third week, I'm really enjoying it. Uh, but I have been thinking about the future and um, I've been thinking about whether I want to you know, pursue a career in academia. Um, I really love education and I love the fact that access to education changed my, lives and my life and can change so many others. Um, but project work is what I enjoy. So I'm, I'm pursuing now, I'm starting my um, Prince 2 qualifications to be a project manager. Um, and in the future, I think I want to be probably director of operations somewhere, hopefully one day, and maybe a CEO as well. So that's the plan. Final question uh, that I've got for you now. So knowing what you know now and everything that you've experienced and explained really well, I have to say, it was fantastic. What one piece of advice would you give that younger self of yours, perhaps the, the one that sat at sixth form college thinking, what am I going to do going forward? What one piece of advice would you give yourself, knowing what you know now? I think the one thing that I would say to my younger self is, even if I didn't know it, a lot of my insecurities were the reason why I was so nervous about life. So I think the first piece of advice, or the main piece of advice would be, relax. Um, it's all about small steps in life. You, one day you're not going to change your life around and, and be the person that you want to be. Um, so these small sustained steps of slowly building towards your, to your goals and ambitions are so important. And I look back at myself when I was 18 and I think to myself, a lot of the, uh, the, one of the main reasons why I pushed myself so much was because I didn't believe that I could succeed. Um, and it, could, it couldn't have been further from the truth. So I think the first thing is to relax but also focus on what you want in life and make sure that every day, every week, you're making small steps towards achieving the goals that you want to achieve. And another thing that I would really advise myself to do and I look back on, I think probably my one and biggest regret that I have is not enjoying the life moments. You know, when I graduated a couple of weeks ago and I went for breakfast by myself on my day of graduation because I realised that in a lot of these moments, I don't actually reflect and think to myself, you've done well here. Every time I've achieved something, got a good grade, it's always what's next. You know, don't, don't, don't rest on your successes. But it is important to take them moments in, remember them and, and, um, and be proud of yourself. And that helps you in sustaining that work ethic to take them small steps to succeed. Really appreciate you spending the time with us today, Shoaib. Thanks ever so much and good luck for the future. Thank you, Ian. It's been a pleasure. There are several things I took from that interview. Firstly, I found it inspirational how Shoaib, having been diagnosed with ADHD and dyslexia early on, found a way of working with this learning disability by finding out what he was good at and working towards those set goals. 
He also clearly outlined the benefit of having a mentor, even whilst you're studying. I sense that the future is really bright for him. Thanks to Shuaib for his honesty and inspiring comments during the interview, and I'm sure we'll all wish him good luck with his future ventures. Links to Shuaib's LinkedIn profile, One Million Mentors, and Manchester Met's First Generation Scheme can also be found in the show notes. My thanks go to Manchester Metropolitan University Business School for sponsoring the series and allowing the episodes to be ad-free. A link to their course offerings can be found in the notes. If you've enjoyed this episode, please do subscribe to the series from wherever you get your pods. You can leave feedback via the various social media channels mentioned earlier by searching for Half Hour Mentor. Thanks for joining us, and until next time, bye for now. Mm-hmm.